before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 81. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker of Icecap Asset Management and Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Keith, good to have you back on. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm back again. Uh, I think some of you guys know, but you know, we had some sadness in my family last week. My, my dad passed away. And um, so we're, we're going through that as a family. And it's been a lot of really nice, warm uh, well wishes to us for last week. So thank you to everyone. And uh, no, here we are back again this week. What's going yeah, on with we, you, Rich? Um, I tried to mix, mix up my workout and I smoked my head on the side of the swimming pool while doing backstroke. I was going to say, I don't know if you were <laughs> and drinking so you can see and the, your head. The, the welt. No, no, I was not drinking. I was I was hot dogging in the swimming pool and I absolutely cracked my head on the side. So there Flexing. you go. That, that's, as, that's as exciting as it gets over here. Flexing um, for a chick of the new chick of the pool, eh? <laughs> I was all alone, actually. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's good to have Keith back. Uh, it's not the same without you, Keith. So welcome back. I'm sorry about your dad. Um, hey, thank you uh, for saying yeah, that. Yeah, um, so good. Yeah. So you guys had a good time last week. Good conversation. Yeah, yeah it was we, great. Yeah. We had the uh, you know a new boomer fill in there with Aaron O'Toole. Uh, so highly encourage everybody to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But uh, yeah, Keith, you were sorely missed. So welcome back to the show. And I think now I understand is a lot of people uh, wanting to be a guest on our show now. So uh, thank you, Aaron. That that really helped out quite a bit. We do appreciate that. But lots of things happening in markets right now, and I think a few other shifts elsewhere. So let's let's jump into it. Now, Steve, you're traveling as well today, right? Because you don't look like you're in beautiful Vancouver. Yeah, I'm in the dirt, dirty South, dirty Myrtle, uh, Myrtle Beach here for uh, a. a good friend uh, he's on twitter there jared dillian he holds his uh, annual uh, dirt nap conference so i'm here to actually speak on canadian housing uh for for uh, for the audience so i mean i can I'm trying to you know maybe to frame up this week's podcast is really just what's happening in the housing market so i'm going to come in and sort of demystify things because i think for a lot of americans canada's like housing like bubble situation is very very like People can't readily wrap their heads around it. Um, and I, I'm by no means justifying the prices, but I think like one thing that I'm you know gonna point out in my speech this week is when you get these charts that circulate on like Twitter and social media that compare like US housing to Canadian housing and like Canada's got this like hockey stick, like off the charts growth. Like the one thing I have to point out to like the Americans is that. 80% of Canada's like house price index is basically Toronto and Vancouver. And so you essentially have like, it's basically like, okay, well, if you were to take Seattle and New York and put it on a home price index, like, I think that's how you have to look at it. Cause the reality is, is Canada actually has basically two major metros and everything else is just like almost like sub markets. What about Montreal? Okay, Montreal. We can throw Montreal in there. You can dabble like Calgary. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Dabble just kidding. like Ottawa, but like the reality is, is like most of like when you talk about Canadian housing, you're really essentially referencing like two markets, which is Vancouver and Toronto. They get all like the media headlines, and I think that's where you know your million immigrants a year. I mean, the majority of them end up flocking into into Ontario. So is that why is that why the valuation metrics are so off the charts? So like, you know, the house price to median income is like, I don't know, eight or nine for Canada. But I know it's what, 12 for Vancouver and 10 for for Toronto or something. And then Montreal is like five and then Calgary's four or something. So is that is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think like I think you always have to like look at the data, look at the charts and then like, you know, try to like flush it out and say, OK, what am I missing here? Right. Like, I think I always look at it and say, like, if you're an American. Think about like all of the economic opportunities that you have. Like if so, if you get priced out of like New York, like you can go to like Nashville, Tennessee, Arizona, California, 
like all these major, like Boston, you can pick like any major Metro city in the U S and there's tons of jobs, tons of economy. So like, it's very common for people in the U S right. To pack their bags and just relocate, you know, somewhere in the 52 States. Whereas like Canada, it's like, the reality is, is that you're going to Vancouver, Toronto, like, yeah, it, it, like not a whole lot of people are super excited to get to like Saskatchewan, you know, Winnipeg, um, where, Uh-oh. where housing actually is affordable. So but we like, just, we just, we're going to get some ten, grief. We, yeah. we just lost our 10 listeners in uh, Yeah, sorry about that. No, lot, I mean, much, much love to, to those two provinces. But the reality is, it's like, you know, you look at it, it's like, what, what's the population of, of Saskatoon? It's a couple hundred thousand people. That's like a small town in the U.S. One thing that's interesting with with this, uh, like I know a lot of managers. They're not Canadian based; they're, they're outside. So that you know, they're running interesting, you know, books. And like in in that space, you're always looking for an, an asymmetrical opportunity. So that means, you know, you can just allocate a small amount of your risk capital to that strategy. If it doesn't pay off, you know, it's like an insurance policy, you know, maybe you lose a half a point or one or two, whatever your you have your risk metrics for it. But if it does pay off, you know, it becomes this, you know, X return, you know, one X, five X or 10 X, something like that. And so, and because of the metrics in Canada, when with, with housing, you know, and all the knockoff, uh, you know, spinoffs from that, Canada's very attractive to these guys. And, you know, it's one of these things, hey, it hasn't paid off yet, but I think people should realize, understand that investors, when, when they take a short position sometimes in something like one of these events and, and it, it doesn't happen, they're not losing money in, in their mind because they're just, they're just putting in like a safety, like an insurance allocation, because just in case it does, it's wow, kaboom. And it's just say like the metrics in Canada are like they are, they are off the charts and uh, you know it's very easy to rationalize why they should be at that level and, and so forth. But as long as we remain at this level, that there's guys, there's always going to be money coming in to play against you know this turning the other way. And so it'll always stay in the media. It'll always stay in, in the media news. Yeah, I mean, I think my big thing is I'm not sitting here obviously the, the real estate guy trying to justify the values, but I think it, it's like I think it provides some important context. I still think the valuations are obviously, you know, obscene. I think it's incredibly expensive. Vancouver is one of the most expensive cities I think in, in the entire world. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Just anecdotally, I know we've we've chatted about it on the podcast. I don't have a whole lot of new data to, to release for this week's episode, but I can tell you like anecdotally on the ground, uh, market continues to heat up and actually incredibly surprising. Like I know, like half jokingly, like we called the bottom, you know, a couple months ago, but like, honestly, what I'm seeing right now is actually a little bit concerning. Like prices are moving up aggressively. This isn't like, Oh, it's a spring market blip. Like there's no inventory. Like we're seeing like, I'm, I'm going to like, how detached houses in the west side of Vancouver at three point two million dollars, and there's fifty pairs of shoes at the front door, and and these houses are going into multiple offers. Like it's it's something. So something is going on. I and, and like there's it's crazy because there's still like so many risks out there. You know, we keep talking about like recession and and you know banks failing and of that nature in the U.S. But like man, it's 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 all out right now in, in the, in the Vancouver and what I'm hearing in the GTA market, the Calgary market. Um, yeah, things are tight. So Steve, Rich, Steve has the opportunity to become a bigger legend than he currently is. Cause he did <laughs> you, by the way, you just said, we call the bottom. No, it wasn't a, we, you, did, and it wasn't you, a you, joke either. <laughs> yeah. You were quite serious and people are like, oh, no way, but you were spot on. But Steve, now we have the opportunity to call the next top and that will yeah. give you <laughs> That would put you up there like on rich level, you know, <laughs> oh, with, boy. Uh, you know, some, some things, some factors. Yeah. I we'll a, see. It's, a, it's worth watching, but I have a question. Um, just like, you know, we talk about valuations. How is, how I don't get the affordability. I think, you know, we, we've, we've mentioned this and maybe we've been wrong about this. But we talked about the, the rate, uh, the great rate reset, you know, when, when, infl- um, when mortgage rates go from two to four, you know, people are going to have to, it's going to feed in and people are going to have to really tighten their belts to, to, to be able to pay for their mortgages. 
But the other end of that is also true in the sense if you're buying this 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 house that you're you're saying that is getting you know lots and lots of viewings and etc. The the mortgage rates are now at five and six and whatever percent. I mean, who can afford these types of mortgages? Are are these are these homes being purchased with cash? Or is it you know it's is it fifty percent down? Is it is it in, rather than twenty percent down? Like how are these people paying? Or or is, the, or is everyone just very very wealthy in Vancouver and? Uh, and you know, I, I mean, that's on. a great, I mean, that's a good question. Cause I get that like all the time. People are like, people that like live and work and earn an income in Vancouver and pay 50% tax rates are like, I don't get it. I, I'm like, a, I'm a top X percent income earner. And these numbers don't make any sense to me. I think the reality is, is that there's a lot of capital sloshing around. It is, it is a breathing ground for foreign capital coming in, i.e. you own a business in Hong Kong and and you pay 15% flat tax in Hong Kong and you, and you and you bring your cash over here and you have a Canadian citizenship because we give those out like candy and uh and you're buying real estate and you're sending your kids to school here and and then you know it's crazy status 50% of houses on, on in Vancouver 50% of the detached houses in Vancouver are mortgage free for their primary residents so there's a lot of like and so what we see is like you know Families, mom and dad bought their house 40 years ago for a couple hundred thousand bucks. It's now worth 4 million and they stroke a check to their kid for half a million bucks for a down payment. That's how they get into the market. So it is like, you kind of have to already be like established in the market or you have to be earning your income sort of elsewhere to really, I think, get into that, into some of these more expensive and prestigious markets in, in parts of Vancouver. And I think you can apply the same logic for Toronto. Because like when you, you just you know share that, if you say you are uh, a young couple, you know, uh, early 30s, say you're in that range, I consider that young, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, but say you're there, Steve, and it, with, with that situation, what you're seeing and hearing, how much is their down payment on a house? Like, do they have 100 grand they're putting down, 50, 400? And besides getting help from, you know, generational wealth, like, like you say, wh where are they getting it? Or have they saved every nickel and dime for 10 years? Yeah, I don't find like people are actually saving like, hey, I have a, you know, normal T4 job and I've been saving for 13 years. Like I, you don't really it's see impossible. that. It's impossible. It is impossible. Like, you, you know, people run the math and say, oh, it takes 20 years to save for the average down payment. Well, I can tell you like nobody's actually saving for 20 years. Like there is... You know, either you're you're making money off whatever stocks or real estate, and that provides the, like the down payment for for the next place, or or you are getting some sort of we call it like the front on your inheritance, right? Yeah, your parents are alive; they're in their sixties, but you know they're looking at it and say, "Well, I I got to I." It's basically like I'd rather like stroke a check for two hundred grand to have my kid and his and my grandkids live within thirty minutes of me. Otherwise, they're gonna have to relocate to you know. Uh, sorry, Winnipeg. Uh, you know, so that that's how they view it. They're like, I want our kids and and our grandkids to be close, so they'd rather just. So that's what we're seeing. And, and like I said, I've I said it before. Is it a just system? I think it is unfortunate that if your parents weren't on the housing ladder or of or are fairly well off, um, you have an uphill battle as a young person trying to get enter enter the housing market, and that's that's just the reality. And you know, so. Okay. So one, one interesting thing that you did say then with that narrative was that, you know, someone in Hong Kong, they raise capital there and then they're, they're bringing that to Vancouver. Um, you know, as Canadians, we think, oh, wow, that, that's awesome. You know, people want to live here. But the other side of the flip side, of course, you know, they're leaving another, another market. And I, I think that's the great way, the way markets work, you know, think of capital. It, it's when it's fluid and liquid, and it's able to move, you know, it, it will stay in a market as, as long as possible, you know, to, to generate, you know, a good return, things like that. But once they're always trying to get out and that, you know, that's what's happening with, with China and Hong Kong these days, um, you know, they, they get out of this, out of the system. So what my point is that it doesn't necessarily mean Canada is awesome. Sometimes it just means people are just trying to get, you know, the money hell out of, uh, out of that part of the world. And then there's also a lot of people, you know, they're not interested in putting their money in the U.S. You know, for tax reasons, because if for some reason you do back into a U.S. tax problem, um, you have that problem for your whole life. <laughs> Those guys don't let go. But um, okay, cool. We hit that. 
Rich hit his head. What are we going to hit next? <laughs> well, I mean, just be, if you want to segue here, I mean, we were talking about people trying to save their money uh, on their, you know, you know, on their T4 jobs, trying to get into the, into the housing market here. Rich, we had some updated on the wage wage data in Canada, I think yesterday. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, no, it was today. Um, so wage growth, and there's different ways to measure wage growth. There's annual weekly earnings. There's average um hourly earnings it's no right way there's no wrong way i think when you had during the pandemic when you had loads of people basically not work a lot of the wage growth data spiked uh i think in canada went up all the way to eight and a half nine percent that's obviously a sampling issue so when you guys see the chart and the chart ticks along at three and four and whatever it is whatever it is and then it just jumps it's because obviously um the people who kept their jobs work behind laptops and were basically white collar workers and all these blue collar people got thrown to the street because of lockdowns let's not get into that <laughs> quagmire uh but so that's why you saw because of a sampling issue you saw the the and the reason I'm that's a preamble it's important because when I eventually show the chart and we show the chart on YouTube and in our Substack or whatever you're going to see this giant spike so you're going to say oh that's, that doesn't make any sense so that's that's why but so the 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 reality is, is the wage growth fell and last month was revised down so if average weekly earnings fell to 1.85% year on year now let's all remember what inflation is uh, again depending on how you calculate it inflation is four five six and people say people have you know given us crap for saying it's under it's under uh it's under calculated it says way sorry it's underestimated i agree and so that's why real wage growth is the lowest it's been according to the series that we have and so real wage growth which is uh, wage growth adjusted for inflation is now negative three percent in canada so i mean uh, how far how far I mean, back is that core. data series excuse me that's a good question so it goes back to 1995. so i mean i'm sure i can rustle up a, a better one but that's still nearly 30 oh, it's 20 odd years that's pretty good a couple of cycles i think what's more important is to contrast that wage growth nominal wage growth let's leave aside real wage for a second with the u.s wage growth and u.s is having the best wage growth it's had in a, basically a generation so i'm trying to find quickly find the chart but you have wage growth depending on what your age is and depending on which kind of income cohort you have you're having wage growth of five six seven eight nine percent um, which is an, an incredible difference yes sir a question for you uh for the wage growth calculation does that include bonuses as well or is it you know, so yeah, so in Canada, workers. yeah. So in Canada, they don't, I don't think they have it. If someone can find that and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm happy to. In the UK, they split it out. So in the UK, I know for a fact that they do regular wages and including bonuses, but it's often quite the same. Obviously, there's in the UK, they have better data with respect to public and private, and private wage growth is actually usually higher than public wage growth, believe it or not, folks. Uh, it is in the UK. I'm not sure what it is in Canada. We'll find out in a couple of weeks what happens to the strike, of course. But yeah, so but it, just to finish up, like the US, their their wage growth for the for the poorest um, in a quinti a quartile is 7.1% in the US. And that's the highest it's been since 1998. And Canada, it's just the total opposite. So you have just slowing wage growth. I don't want to say the P word again, but I'm sure it has something to do with that when you invite loads and loads of people into your country that are all the age between the ages of you know 20 and 50. It obviously has a depressive um, impact on your wage growth. Also, we just have worse growth, full stop. But what's really fascinating is the U.S. has, have, has had positive real wage growth, again, depending on how you calculate it, for the last year or so. And Canada's real wages continue to fall. And so we'll talk about uh, some other recession indicators. I think you want to talk about some slowing growth stuff to keep that you wanted to mention, but I just thought it was really kind of a fascinating number. I wasn't expecting that, you know, I was sort of, I've always talked about how labor markets are a lagging indicator. And so I was actually expecting a little bit more positive news on the wage growth front before the eventual sort of decline and to see it come down like that. And also to see last month's number be revised down as well was a little bit surprising to me. I, I mean, if you're Tiff Macklem, you got to be pretty happy about that. No, like, I mean, that's probably one of your larger concerns and saying, I mean, wait, you know, real negative wage growth of what negative three, I mean, 1.85, you said like, I mean, that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't seem very inflationary. 
no, it doesn't. That's a really good point, um, Steve. I, I I can't speak to what um what the guy's thinking. Um, but you're you're right. I mean, I, I mean, just as simply simply put, I think um when you have wage growth, wage pressures falling, um, what was released was just the total. Next in the next couple of weeks, we'll get manufacturing and services. So that will be really interesting. I imagine it'll come down as well. Um, but I, but I, the counterpoint though is when you just have an incredible amount of people enter in an economy that's like the it's that's a very inflationary it's an inflationary impulse so i think there's a balance there we sort of have to figure out i haven't figured it out yet but yeah that's it's more bad news on the wage growth front and that's and no one wants to hear that sorry folks but that's, so if you that's get, what's going on yeah you get basically real negative wage growth you have you know declining per capita gdp yeah, keep going. Uh, and then you've got this housing crisis. I don't know. It's just tighter, <laughs> tighter, tighter lending standards, um, right? We um, and we know that. And for some reason, the way house prices are going up. So, I mean, I'm I'm as confused as it's a hard to square, Keith. Yeah. What are you <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting because you know today, I think it was today or yesterday, the CMHC came out with their report, and they talked about how uh, notes here. They're expecting a housing start to decline 32% over the next, is it 12 months, Steve? I don't remember what the time frame is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, I think we mentioned it briefly on last week's uh, episode, but uh, yeah, housing starts have come down. They they were, they were hit about a cycle high, uh, I think about a year ago, about 300,000 annual housing starts. Um, that's using a three-month rolling average. And now they're down to about 230,000. So yeah, not not great if you're if you're looking two, three, four years out and and trying to sort of alleviate a, a housing crunch. Yeah, and it but it goes back to the you know the the theme here. You know we're you know we're all a little confused a little bit, but we're also seeing the narrative you know, to support you know different investment themes because you know that's what we're doing really. Um, so the you know the housing start the inventory side or supply side you know if you look at supply demand curves. Uh, you know, it, it makes total sense. But, you know, going back to a, an investor who's looking for one of these asymmetric opportunities, you know, you, you're just thinking, you know what, all we need here is a recession to come up. And, you know, maybe it could bump things off, which ties into the Bank of Canada this week. So they, uh, I, I saw two messages they pushed out this week. One was in a, uh, like a Q&A type uh, presser with uh, that uh, Tiff did, I think it was today or, or yesterday, but he basically said, yeah, you know, we're likely headed for two quarters, two consecutive quarters of, you know, zero or near zero growth, which is a recession. And it, I don't know what the reaction to that is going to be, but you know, that's what they want. That's what they've been trying to do. So if you reduce aggregate demand for the country, you know, it, it will bring down, you know, the economy as well as in theory, inflation, uh, you know, Considering that you know the supply side catches up as well, you, we have that going on. Because by the way, when you shut down the global economy, uh, <laughs> you ain't never getting it back to where you, you thought it was going to be. You don't say, Boomer. Yeah, you don't say. <laughs> you guys know my views on that stuff. So, oh, uh, uh, did won't... anybody ask Tiff Macklin if he knew that per capita GDP had already had two negative quarters and is about to have a third one, or did we did they did they miss that? No, I think though, like if, if there's any uh, you know official media, unlike you know Looney Hour Media Inc., you know our national media company, Free plan, right. you know, yeah, we don't have access, you know, to you know to these presser pools, uh, but if someone is act. listening. I yeah, was actually yeah. told that we can apply for it, but uh, I don't know. Oh, I, man. I, I don't I'll have you guys do. I'm, I'm banned. I'm banned for sure. I'm for sure. No way. So if we do get that, you know, a special badge, we're able to log in and, you know, three of us have the magic vote, you know, who gets to go to do it? You know, it's for everyone to understand, like the first round of voting, it'll be a three-way tie. <laughs> 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 but after some like haggling on the side, like Rich is going to win three to nothing. So I'll, Rich, I'll, I'll gonna... abstain. You think they won't let me? They won't let me ask Tiff Macklin any questions. Could, <laughs> yeah, could you imagine, uh, Tiff? And the next question is from uh, Looney Hour Media Inc. Uh, Keith uh, Boomer Dicker. <laughs> That's right. Go ahead, Keith. 
but I think it'd be fun. But on a serious uh, note, uh, th these the, the, the questions that Rich is bringing up, these are the kind of conversations that need to happen, you know, instead of these softball type questions all the time. Um, and then the other like sort of, so again, the, the, the comment that Macklin made about negative or near zero GDP growth recession, he's 100% correct. That's what we need to bring, you know, in, inflation down. It also means some folks might lose their jobs, you know, and, and stuff like that. And by the way, when I use the word folks, I'm referencing someone else in our history that people should catch on with maybe. Uh, but the other <laughs> note was kind of bizarre. Uh, it wasn't from him, but the Bank of Canada this week, they disclosed the climate-related risk to the Bank of Canada and oh God. the economy. And they're, like, they're really gone down. I just thought it was bizarre for Central Bank to be doing that. Don't and, get rich going. Yeah. <laughs> but the it does EU tie does in, that funny business too, by the way. Yeah. And like I don't think that's where we should be going because it implies that you know credit should be allocated based on you know, some subjective scale that somebody made that turns out may or may not be correct. But, and it goes back to, again, like with the central bank digital currency conversations that are out there, we, we know this is coming. Like this is 99% sure it is coming down the road. And why do I say that? Because they keep telling us it, it's coming. I mean, that's, that's where we're at. And then for the Bank of Canada to start referencing, you know, climate change and, and their risk analysis of the economy and, and stuff like that, Again, it just says, you know, maybe they might be focused, in our opinion, on, you know, in, in the wrong parts of the economy where we're going. So back again, I, I think we are set up for something a, a bit odd to happen. And uh, I think at some point, I think we'll jump over to the U.S. bank deposit well, think, story. So I want to talk about yeah, I that. I think that like sort of like circles with the bigger picture stuff. I know like Russell Napier, who's been a great interview. We haven't, we should get him on the show, but uh, you know, he's, he's talked a lot about this, this new sort of regime or paradigm that we're entering, which is the, the allocation of credit will be dictated more and more so by government. Uh, and so they're going to decide where where credit and capital gets allocated uh through their policies well and we talked about exactly... that last week didn't we didn't we talk about sorry to yeah, Keith, gonna, we, we talked about start... that last week yeah. where they want to give people with a lower credit rating a better mortgage rate in the uh, u.s you, you heard that right by the way uh that's stupid um that's the total opposite of how finance and economics should work and when this inevitably blows up in, in our face just remember that we we said that here first folks um it's it's bananas sorry keep keep going well rich you are right that's the way it would work in a capitalistic society <laughs> in a <laughs> When you're leaning towards socialism, borderline communism, and my guys, that, that's where we're headed, guys. That's the decisions that that will happen. And really, uh, you know, we see this in the movies, like with Hollywood cinema and stuff. You know, that you know, you get your your social, what do they call it? Your your, your social media social score. credit score. No, social, social credit credits. Score. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the exact same thing. And uh, you know, people might be rolling their eyes, whatever. But you know, we, we're we're starting to see these comments come again again this is not coming from the loony hour this is from the bank of canada and the bis the bank of international settlements the the gentleman who runs that has made it very very clear about his intentions with respect to the um central bank digital currencies and why they think it's interesting and important sorry keith mm -hmm. yeah and so we're going in that direction and again like i i continuously use this phrase and i think it's an awesome phrase as well by the way uh you know we, we have you know, global risk has indeed been synchronized around the world. And if that wasn't the case, you wouldn't have this, you know, confluence of all, all these major countries believing in the same thing, saying the same thing over and over and over, because they, they know that, you know, we, we've been on this, you know, 40, 50 year credit cycle. You know, it's been driven by continuously lower and lower rates. And, you know, you know we, we, we bottomed in 08, 09, and they suppress price discovery across the whole yield curve, you know, for about 12 years, all of a sudden, all this is being repriced again. And so that these are the reactions we're, we're getting and that's coming hey, out from it. Just kind of on that, like long-term debt super cycle. I know like we've chatted about on the show. I know like Ray Dalio's written a ton of work on it. I mean, that's feel like that's kind of like part of my real estate thesis anyways, is like I, 
Like when people are like, I don't, I don't get it. I can't square the numbers like Canadian housing, but you go to the U S and they're having the same conversations. So right now, like U S housing is like, is really ramping up again. Uh, and people are like, well, you know, if you run the math on, on, on houses, like, you know, at these interest rates and at these prices, like you, nobody can afford it. And, and yet like the housing market in the U S is accelerating to the upside as well. Um, and so I just start to wonder if we're, we're kind of like in the society where, I think the social frictions are increasing and you have this growing wealth inequality. Um, it's asset and it's asset inequality. I think a lot of the times we focus on income and I think that's a huge mistake and it's something politicians are always do. And it drives me absolutely crazy. They say, Oh, it's income inequality is the problem. And we need to raise taxes on, you know, the, the, the richest people that that's in Canada. If you're the 1%, you're paying, uh, you know, 50% in Quebec, 53% of your marginal income, it's asset inequality. And that's why I hate central bankers because they can, by continuing to suppress interest rates for as long as they did, they basically just handed over an incredible amount of wealth from the labor class to the capital class. And now we're seeing the effects of that, um, whether it's through, I mean, social frictions, like you said, Keith's going to talk about how we deal with it sort of down the road, which is basically in somehow some debt jubilee, basically, which will again benefit the asset holders. Um, it, it's it's really, really frustrating to anyone who's paid attention to history um, and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's just it, it is yeah, it's just mind boggling how we sort of we're all just sort of sleepwalking into this. So, Rich, by you saying, you know, you, you dislike central bankers. Uh, sorry, I, I dislike central bankers. Yeah, I, I think it's a brilliant statement because, you know, you're either like completely eliminating a pool of, you know, if you look at the policymakers plus support staff and stuff like that, you know, for, say, the Western world and elsewhere, you're probably eliminating about a, a dating pool of 10,000 people, maybe, <laughs> maybe 25,000. But it could be brilliant as well because maybe it just makes you that much more attractive. So it's, maybe it's, it's a good statement. I, I just think it's so, I mean, I, I maybe I hate's a really strong word. I apologize. I shouldn't use the H word, but I just, to me, it's just, you know, it, when, when it does blow up, I, I, I feel like we know exactly where to point the finger. And, and I think it's, it's just very frustrating to me. I think it, and it's, and it relates as a, it, and it, and carries on to a lot of these different things, like ne- permanently negative real interest rates um, induces a misallocation of capital. We've mentioned that before. It's why people in Canada don't invest in small businesses. It's why the people, the only in Canada, the only, the only reason they feel like they can get wealthy is by sort of recirculating their cash into real estate, which sorry, Steve is not a productive asset instead of research and development etc cetera, et cetera. There's, there's loads and loads of knock-on effects and it's it's to me it's a directly result of sustained negative real interest rates um rather and and i mean i i could go on and on so i'll, I'll stop now but it's just um yeah it's good to have you so, get back keith <laughs> <laughs> well you, you know i love listening to you guys you guys you know you're, you're triggering some thoughts for me but you mentioned small business businesses rich and um so with that sort of you know that immediately triggers my mind and look at the bank deposit story down in america right and it so i just want to phrase a narrative for everyone now just to start thinking about and um because the narrative that we have for 2023 with financial markets and the economy it's it's going exactly in that direction like that that's where we're headed and uh but right now what, what's really interesting with with the u.s banks so both you know, small and medium and in the large U.S. bank, they're losing deposits. That's what's happening. And so that so instead of putting your money on deposit at the bank, you're, you're putting in a money market fund. So as an investor, you're the reason you're doing that, because now you have all of a sudden less downside risk. So instead of taking on the credit risk of a single bank, you know, your money is spread out across really 30-day, 18, 20-day paper, you know, across some really high credit ranking uh you know, corporate entities. But when that happens, so for every dollar that comes out as deposits from the banking system, and so so that then has resulted in anywhere from say ten to thirty dollars in loans not being available for the economy, right? Because because banks are levered entities, it take a deposit out, the bank can't lever that out to lend. Uh, that doesn't hurt big companies because like big, big, large companies, like whether it's, you know, think of anyone you want to think of in your head, like they're able to borrow directly to the market. They're the ones that are issuing commercial paper that goes into the money market funds, but small to medium sized businesses. And this is where I, I thought of this, Rich, um, they, they access credit through the banking system. 
And if all of a sudden there's less credit available for the small and medium-sized business, and they're the guys that run the economy, but they're the drivers here. Uh, if credit is available, it's more expensive, it's harder to access and everything. You know, we, we, we like one of these asymmetrical narratives that we're headed towards now is that we, we could run into a pretty severe credit crunch because of what central banks have done over the latest cycle. You know, again, they're, they're driving deposits out of their commercial banking system and in the money market and stuff like that. But this is something that we're thinking about right now. So if we get a credit crunch in the economy, uh, like it immediately creates a pretty severe bear market in, in corporate debt. There's something to think about. And then that takes care of your inflation story, guys. Because when you get a bond market breaking, that's like incredibly deflationary on this system. And in a well, way, it's funny, you should, it's funny you should mention it's, fu it's funny you should mention that because uh, you can look at uh, European corporate credit. I know it's a, it's not that liquid a market. Um, they, the, those spreads are actually starting to rise, even though the market, the, equ the equity market. So the is, is actually been doing okay. You're starting to see the spreads not come in. So, and, and us corporate credit spreads have actually been, they haven't come in at all either. So there's like two different two different stories being told here. The equity market's been relatively stable and you know okay, flirting with that 4,200 level in the U.S. European equities are actually doing really solidly, uh, but the the corporate credit spreads, uh, whether it's triple C um, or high yield, other high yield um, products, have actually been remain quite wide. So there's I I always find it fun when there's two separate and competing and sort of differentiated narratives, and that's something I pay attention to. Keith, how are you um, positioning right now, like client portfolios in general? Again, you don't have to give us like the exact specifics, but like what's, how do, how do you, how do you position for this? I mean, it feels like the data is somewhat conflicting these days, right? I mean, like one, one week it's, it's softness and inflation. The next week it's, uh, you know, job, job openings are, 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 you know, still rising. And so like the data doesn't seem to be that like, and, and people, there doesn't seem to be, there seems to be a consensus that will probably enter some sort of recession, but some people saying it's going to be a hard landing. Others say soft to no, like it just, it seems very uncertain the next three to six months. Well, you know, for our favorite uh, realtor, who, who's a client, we have we have him positioned to short the housing market just as an offset. <laughs> Got to hedge my, yeah, hedge my uh, bets here. <laughs> yeah. So there's 50 million right now short the Canadian housing market. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so the market you just described, it's one where there's not a lot of, of certainty of where we may go. And that's not a bad market. It just means that you you shouldn't be positioned to be all in in one market or all out of another. I, I always chuckle when you see someone that oh, we're always in equities. We're always hunting for the great new equity, grow the dividends and over time rating. Like that, that's not our style. I think you're always going to get cut off at the knees eventually with with something like that. Uh, but in, in I talked about our narrative earlier. Our narrative this year is that. Fund, uh, equity markets as well as commodities will come down Q1 and into Q2. And you know, that, that's kind of where we've gone right now. Our expectation also was for the economy to really start to slow down in Q1 and Q2. That seems like it's being pushed out to Q3 and Q4. So maybe we get equities and commodities like sort of getting extended out a bit more. But as long as we continue on on this uh, you know path we're, we're going on here, you know, we, we could potentially get a bottom in, in equities as well as commodities just as we're starting to hit a recession. And and at the and that will be your time to start buying, right? That's when you want to get a, a bit more aggressive. Doesn't mean you go all in or anything, but you because usually equities will bottom just as the economy is entering recession. And like as Rich will tell you, you never know you are in a recession until about three to four quarters after it's already happened, right? That, that's the way it is. So we're going down that road uh, in all of our portfolios. We always hold an allocation to protect us, you know, in, you know, in case you know, the, the shit hits the fan, you know, which seems to be happening more frequently these days. So um, yeah, you know, we're, we're not worried or concerned and uh, you know, we're having a, a good start to the year and, you know, we're not getting any of this volatility that's already going on.
Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's uh, one of the Canadian stalwarts uh, here. CN Rail just reported uh, uh, earnings on uh, April 24th here. And they said, quote, our current volumes reflect that we are in a mild recession. That was from their CEO uh, saying that we're uncertain about how deep or how long it will go on. But what we're modeling is negative North American industrial production for the full year. Uh, and of course, they they reported that uh, their volumes uh, were down 6% uh, so far this month. Um, so. Steve, can I ask you an annoying question? Did they mention carloads versus intermodal? Sorry, that's like a really technical I did question. not get into the depths of that. <laughs> I am not a CN Rail equity analyst, but uh, I am good at reading headlines. Okay, no, because that just to follow up, because trains work either like literally just like a bucket, like a rectangular bucket that sits on one of their, you know, whatever sits on the track, or there's like an intermodal, which is if you think of like um, a Costco oil, uh, a Costco like a tanker, you know, those literally those like Lego blocks, that's called an intermodal. And it's and it's quite it, it usually there's a, a specific difference as to you know one is related to commodities and sort of uh, sort of raw materials and the other one is much more related to sort of consumer goods etc. And sorry, I had listen, to ask. nerd. He said we're in a recession. All right. <laughs> so I was kind of hoping like hard questions. Yeah, you know, with with Richard like knocking his head, like I was thinking, hey, maybe he'll turn him into the fawns. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the ultimate goal for all of us. Uh, but tying into that, you know, we had, you know, we had UPS come out as well with, with their earnings. And, uh, you know, like, you know, the headline would be like UPS beats on earnings. But you know, the key message was that they missed on, they missed on revenue on, on the top side. And, you know, you know, one of the key metrics you want, like a forward-looking indicator, you want to look at the transports in the market, because they, they're a pretty good, give you a good vision on where the economy is headed. And that doesn't mean like things are falling off a cliff, but you know, things are getting softer here. Uh, of course, that means, Hey, everyone's everyone's watching the fed, you know, what, what are they going to do? Uh, which brings us to today's us GDP number, which I think we should talk about a, a little bit or a lot or not. Which one, Steve? Rich. I think we should discuss it a little bit. Go ahead. <laughs> You so by the way, for the listeners, that means I'm the only one who read about the US. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> no, it, it was a it was a quite I mean, I just again I get back to my hotel here, but it looks like it was it was a quite a big miss to the downside. Yeah. So uh walk us through me. that. Yeah. So Steve, <laughs> Steve defers to Rich, refers and Rich defers to me, and I go back to Steve. Uh so the bottom line, you know, it, it looked like a, a miss, you know, that the number was was softer and the uh it basically the, the prices paid number was, was a lot stronger. That means, oh man, this is a stagflation. It's classic stagflation. Stagflation mm -hmm. means inflation is going up or it's not coming down, and growth is coming down. And really, if growth is coming down, prices should come down with it. Right, because one one sort of pulls the other or pushes the other, and uh, but interesting thing today with with the American GDP number, uh, if you have some time, look into it. Uh, consumer spending was was good, like it wasn't bad, and as well, the reason the GDP number missed expectations is probably because of, because of inventories. Correct. So you can view this, you know, good or bad, depending on you know which way you want to lean. So when when companies are building inventories that increases GDP because it means they're spending, right? They're spending money to, to make stuff to put on the shelves. When inventories are declining across the country at an aggregate level, it means, hey, you know, companies are selling stuff, but they're not, they've made the decision not to replace them as fast. So um, if that's happening, you know, it's, again, it's, it's the reason why GDP was a bit less than market was expecting. Uh, so it's a bit of like good and bad with it. If you're a, a bull, you're saying, hey, consumers still spending. Yeah, just to chime in there, Keith, just to kind of round it out. So yeah, GDP uh, rose, rose by an annualized 1.1% in the first quarter. That was less than the median forecast for 1.9% in Bloomberg's survey. Um, so the economist miss again. But that's a big miss. For yeah, it's a big miss. Yeah, yeah. But when you but when you go into the the data behind it, no markets they are, you know, it's risk on today because they are interpreting that as 
oh, wow, the economy is coming off hard. The Fed's going to not raise rates anymore and so forth. My my thoughts on this and my perspective is that the Fed has been, you know, they've been pretty consistent. That They continue to look at the inflation data and they will look at the prices paid with, within the, the metric. So uh, I think anyone expecting the Fed is now, you know, that they, they, they paused. Um, that may not be correct at this point. So we'll see. See where she goes, Rich. Well, there's so many price cuts priced in. It's I find it still crazy um, how much um, the Fed the Fed fund futures or other instruments that sort of are used to bet on the path and direction of interest rates for the United States. There's similar thing in Canada. They use it called overnight index swaps, um, and there are different ones in um, in the UK and whatever. But it's just there's so many pr- uh, cuts priced in, and I just I still after all this time still don't really buy it. Um, but I think as people are, I guess the market's just focused on that. And I guess we just got another day of what is it? Um, bad news is good news, Keith. <laughs> I love that. So our I next, and, yeah. so uh, our next, uh, Twinkie bet, well, somebody else suggested something different than the Twinkie recently. No, we got to do the dunking. You got to dunk oh, yeah. the, uh, the politicians. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You get to dunk your favorite or your least Where favorite. Where was that for the, for the people? It was in Italy. It was in Italy and it was a great story, right? It was a small town in Italy and, and the mayor, whichever politician does the worst job or something, gets put in a cage and then lowered into the river. <laughs> Do they hold the cage down for a certain duration of time? No, or? no. I think it's just like up to his waist or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, 500 I, years ago, it would have been uh, all the way under, but, you know, we're soft now. Yeah, but I think it's good. I mean, we can go into this, you know, 10 feet deep, but. You know, yeah, we should do that. We should do that like the next live Looney Hour event. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we can we can dunk someone. Um, but anyway, the the other thing I think that was sort of interesting this week is, uh, you know, we we, we just sort of goes along those lines. So we still have the PSAC strike is is happening, and um, so I think it's a hundred and fifty thousand, hundred and thirty thousand, something like that. Anyway, it's quite a few people. I think like it keeps going up and down. Hey, the number, I don't even think they know how many people are in the union. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot less no, they, coll- they, collect union, so. they, connect, they collect union dues. They know exactly how many people. Yeah, that's a fair point. But to inter- there's a, a Bloomberg article and uh, this, this is the quote from it. Uh, it, it so it specifically said, the Canadian government is grappling with what comes after a forced experiment of remote work from home because of the pandemic. Well, yeah. Apparently, people people are all yeah. up in arms because they have to. They they want them. I guess part of the negotiations is they want them back in the office two days a week. Yeah, I know. And you know, it's either you know. I think you know personally, I can make up a lot of arguments why. I know, for example, people that we deal with down in the U.S. and, and uh, one lady's in Philadelphia, and and she was commuting almost three hours a day, in and out, right to to do to do like administrative type job at this at this firm we do some work with, and. uh you know, all of a sudden she's she goes in once a week, and and she, Rich, come up with a number. How many hours a week is she saving? Uh, fifteen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, your head you... knock wasn't that that's severe. Right, that's right. Maybe I it helped. It's helping. <laughs> yeah, it goes both ways, right? But what caught me with that article was that you know the government they're trying sort of trying to figure out that yeah you know maybe all these policies they put in place back during the pandemic. Um, yeah, they are having these, you know, adverse reactions, you know, years later. You and, don't say. Uh, yeah, and they're going to continue for quite some time, like as as we go here. But we'll see. Maybe they'll invoke the Emergencies Act. No, aren't yes. they storming the? Aren't they blockading in in the 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 buildings in Ottawa? I thought that I thought I read that somewhere. You guys, you guys are asking. You guys are cruising for bruising. Thank God, Bill C eleven passed, and our Canadian content will be pushed upon Canadians, despite the, our what is it called, unacceptable views. Is it actually <laughs> fully through now? Like, I think, I think so. I thought if it was going. The, I thought it was going through. Like, um, I don't know the exact process there. Like the Senate. Pat- Senate readings yeah. or whatever. Yeah, well, actually, passing. you know what? Soon enough, I'm gonna. Can I? Am I allowed to reveal this? Uh, we've we've uh, we're trying to find. We're trying to get a guest on actually who's an expert in this, and over the next couple of months, we'll hopefully have him online, and he'll answer. Uh, he'll ha- we'll interview him, and he'll answer all of our questions related to this. So, 
Yeah, there you go. There's a little tease for you. That's what they call. Do we a tease actually think it's going to help the Looney Hour? I genuinely do, but we'll find out. We'll ask. We'll ask uh, the gentleman who's going to come, who's agreed to come on, and uh, he'll let us know. Looney Hour Media Inc. Just that's right. <laughs> pulling in. We get a bump to the top of the uh, the Bloomberg, you know, BNN Bloomberg but, request for Tiff Mackland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People are really upset about that, eh? Yeah, I know. It was kind <laughs> of are. funny. I don't know if you guys realize, but on, on, on Bloomberg, um, you know, we, under the, the message system, you know, that you use on it, you can put your own little, like, you know, in, it was meant to put an inspirational quote at the top. So wherever you sent someone, um, they call it an IM, an, an instant message on Bloomberg. You know, you know, you see it come from Keith and it'll have like a little, you know, the sky is blue, whatever you want to say. And, uh <laughs> a few years back when I was on the island, uh, you know, one night, you know, and it's a small island, right? So you hear all the stories and by the time you really hear it, it's some of it is true and some of it is is not so true. Anyway, like some guy, Bob, got thrown in the drunk tank the night before. And uh, yeah, and then Bob wasn't at his desk, at his trade desk in the morning. Not with my, not with, not with my firm or other one. Anyway, someone puts on his Bloomberg thing like, free Bob. And uh, then people start seeing it. And then all of a sudden, this starts going around the world. Everyone, like in the Bloomberg world, like it's like, who's everyone's like, who's Bob? Who's Bob? Why is one to free him? Anyway, that, that story went for about three days. And finally, Bob showed up for work again. And guess what? What? That's where you say, that's where you say what, Rich. Yeah. What? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't in the drunk tank. He went to New York for the weekend. No one, no one um, knew. Yeah. Well, but, that reminds uh, me. That reminds me of Ferris Bueller's Day Off when he's like, uh, you know, he's got a sore throat, and before you know it, they're like, uh, "It's a gr- oh, great movie." What is it? He's like cancer or something, and everybody and his sister um, is really upset. It's a, sorry, that reminds me of that movie. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, like I remember watching that, like when I was a lot younger than forty you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what else you I got, think, Steve? What else? I, I mean, I I think that's it. I think it's a slower news week. I mean, I hate to cut the loony hour short here. It's a it's a rare occurrence, but uh, you know, we had an hour and ten minute long episode with Aaron O'Toole last week. So at the end of the day, you know, if this one's fifty minutes. Too bad. You know, it balances out. And uh, there's no was. sense. Yeah, well, Keith. I mean, Keith's got to get the Pinot. It's 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 happy hour time here. The Pinot Noir is. Uh, is about to start flowing, so uh, we'll, we'll let you get to that. Um, Keith, it's good to have you back on the show. Condolences to the family, of course. Um, you know, we obviously had some some nice mail coming through from some of the Looney Hour community, so we do appreciate that. Keith appreciates that uh, especially. And, uh, you know, like I said, all we ask that we continue to share this episode with at least one friend or family member, continue to build the community here, and uh, we'll see you again next week.